0: Nuketown Radioactive, number 88, for Monday, August 7th, 2017. On this episode of Nuketown Radioactive, we catch up on the web redesign, talk about summer vacations and summer reading lists, complete the quest for a beanbag chair, and offer a review of the Amazon Dot, Amazon's always-on, always-listening digital assistant. The Newtown Radioactive. I'm your host, Ken Newquist. And I have to pat myself on the back for a very modest accomplishment of actually recording two podcasts in the same calendar year for the first time in a really, really long time. Now, originally, I had hoped to get this podcast out back in March, not long after recording 87. But unfortunately, as is often the case with life these days, things got really, really busy. I coached baseball in the spring, as did my wife, and uh, we were continuing to raise our seeing eye puppy, Hank, and my son crossed over from Cub Scouts into Boy Scouts, which was a pretty big time commitment. All of a sudden, we were going to troop meetings on Mondays. Gosh, going on camping trips. We went to a uh, a camporee in New Jersey that had something like 10,000 scouts. We went to Philadelphia in June. Like, just basically, just one thing after another, which is great. It's been a fantastic experience. He is loving it. But every one of these things just took away from my ability to sit down and record a new podcast. Another of those things has actually been the Nuketown website redesign, which I've been steadily working on since... Gosh, I think February. (laughs) It's been a really long time. And I knew that it was going to take a long time to migrate Newtown to WordPress. I knew there was a lot that I was going to have to go back in and edit. And I thought I would be able to knock it off over spring break back in March. But unfortunately, it just didn't come together as quickly as I'd hoped. And part of that was being a little bit of a perfectionist. And part of that was actually going back and editing things like I talked about in the last podcast. But You know, at the end of the day, it's just there's a lot of stuff that has to happen when you're migrating over a decade's worth of content. So I've been steadily picking at it. The good thing is that all the content is actually migrated at this point. Almost all of it has been edited, although occasionally I'm still finding pages that I forgot about. And during this whole time, I've actually been writing new content, so I have been steadily putting together new movie reviews, new music reviews, these podcasts, basically just trying to get back into the routine of actually publishing things on Nuketown on a regular basis. Not every other day, not going bonkers and putting together cool editions on given topics like I did way back in the 90s, but... Just making sure that I'm writing something once a week, because I'm happier, it helps the site, and it's just just a good thing to do for me. So anyway, the redesign is progressing. I'm hoping that it will launch sometime in September, once we get past the start of school crush and all of that, and then we will finally, and if you're really lucky, there will be this podcast as well as episodes 87 and 89. As I mentioned in the last show, I'm only going to release new podcasts if I can record three of them. I need to get back into the routine of actually doing podcasts. I really enjoy it. It's it's a lot of fun. It forces me to think in different ways. It forces me to talk and actually think about my words more purposefully, which is always good. But I am not going to release a podcast and then you know wait for a year to see if I can get another one in. It's got to be a routine or else I'm not going to do it. So the title of this podcast is Summertime, and let's talk about some summer. It has been One Excellent Summer, which is actually the title of a, of a post I did up on Nuketown. Yes, in early June. For a long time, my family has been talking about going west, which is flying out to Salt Lake City in Utah, visiting my wife's relatives in Salt Lake, and then getting together with them and basically driving around out west, going to Idaho, going to Wyoming, visiting Yellowstone, going to the Grand Tetons. And it's a thing we've talked about, but quite honestly, there's logistical challenges in terms of finding the time to do it. There was a question of the kids being old enough to really appreciate it. And finally, there was a financial consideration because this is not a cheap trip. Flying everybody out there cost a good chunk of change. So we needed to be able to make sure we could actually do this trip and do it well. And this summer, it finally all came to fruition. I got to say, it was it was really fantastic. I've become something of an outdoor geek over the last few years, largely because of our summer vacations to Lake Champlain, but also because of my son's involvement in Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. We've been spending a lot more time camping and actually just getting away. And I love being able to disconnect. I don't think that my 20-year-old self or even my early 30s self would have appreciated it as much. But with as many responsibilities as I have now, as much work I have to do, And with all of the kind of always-on connections of modern life, it is really fantastic to be able to get away for a weekend or get away for a week and unplug and not deal with any of that. If I go camping with the Boy Scouts and my son, hey, I've got my phone off. I might bring my Kindle so I can read, but I don't bring any video games. I don't bring my DS. Part of that is to set a good example for the Scouts. But also, it's just because we're busy. We've got a lot going on. And really, the point is not to engage with technology. It's to relax, take in the wilderness, kind of enjoy yourselves and, and switch gears. So that's really been fantastic. Going to Yellowstone was actually just kind of continuing that theme. So I have to say this was not actually a backpacking trip or a hiking trip or anything like that. Our trip out to Yellowstone and to the Grand Tetons was much more of a conventional family vacation. So we drove, we flew out, then we drove up to Yellowstone and we saw all the, we saw all the classic sites. We saw uh, old faithful, which is pretty impressive. And then we saw all these amazing hot springs. And I have to say, although old faithful is the thing that people talk about, the grand prismatic spring is just so much more awesome. It is, has such amazing, vibrant colors that come about from the, um, the algae that actually grows in the water that circulates up out of the spring. There's this awesome clouds that kind of ha- like mists that hang over it and are illuminated by the vibrant colors of the different algae. And it's just this amazing, surreal landscape. So we took in all those things. We went and we saw some of the other hot springs kind of scattered around Yellowstone. We got to see the wildlife. And it was a lot of driving. We did not do any of the backcountry hiking. We did not do... We didn't do any camping in Yellowstone. We ended up uh, renting a cabin with my wife's brother and his family. And that was fine. I mean... It's good to go to Yellowstone and see these kind of just natural wonders. I'd love to go there again and do some hiking, which, again, is not a thing I would have thought I would have ever ever have said. But I think it would be really cool to actually spend some time in the backcountry. Now, admittedly, there are bears and other dangers they have to be aware of. But it's such a cool terrain, and it would just be really cool to kind of get away from the tourists and get into the more remote areas of Yellowstone. That having been said, the tourists were fine. Going and seeing these sites was really just... it's just awe-inspiring. It's really cool, and I have to say, it, it gave me all of these really great ideas for my Dungeons and & Dragons and science fiction campaigns. I was taking notes the whole time, just jotting down ideas about how you could have a really awesome D&D fight on the quasi-elemental plane of ash, inspired by the different springs and ash mounts, and, oh, well, I guess they're not ash mounts, but just other kinds of, like, volcanic terrain that you see at Yellowstone, which is pretty impressive, You do have to kind of take your brain off the hook a little bit and kind of forget about the fact that you're walking on a giant volcano because otherwise you'd probably just be so freaked out you wouldn't be able to take another step, but it was really cool. I definitely recommend doing it. After Yellowstone, we went to the Grand Tetons, which was also very cool. I mean beautiful mountain, really just breathtakingly beautiful mountains. And uh, we drove down to Jackson Hole, which is the region right next to the Tetons. And we went to Jackson, which is the actual city within, within Jackson Hole. And it accomplished what we were trying to do, which was show the kids something entirely different. We wanted them to be able to understand like terrain is, is just so different. The, The idea that you could see for 60 miles is just completely outside of, Their understanding. In Pennsylvania, things are very close. We have a lot of hills, especially where we live. So you can occasionally see some distances, but for the most part, you're driving in between these different hills. And it's not like you can just look towards the horizon and there's these massive mountains rising and they're really, really, really far away. So I think it was cool for them to have that experience and to kind of see the world from a different perspective for a while. We got to get in some baseball too. I got to go to a see, I guess it was rookie level baseball game, a minor league game in Idaho Falls. And then we actually went to see the Salt Lake City Bees in Salt Lake the last night we were there, which I've also turned into something of a big baseball fan over the last couple of years. So I'm always up for a baseball game. That was, that was really fantastic. That vacation was something of a whirlwind. It's not the sort of vacation where you're just going to the beach and hanging out for a week, reading books and playing in the sand and going swimming. It's not like going to Lake Champlain and doing a hike around the island or what have you. It is, uh, you're going to get up, you're going to do stuff, you're going to keep doing stuff, and you're going to go to bed tired, darn it. I'm not saying that was bad. I'm just saying that was different. Fortunately, we were also able to go on our traditional vacation with our friends um, to their cabin on an island on Lake Champlain. It was, uh, I guess it was for a week, which kind of works out to about five days actually on the island because it takes time to drive up, get over, and then um, come back again. And that was, it was very nice. We, uh, we actually got to visit some friends from high school and we went to a uh, Vermont Lake monsters game, which again, more baseball, always good. And then I got to go to the island, hang out with the kids, go do a lot of swimming and read a lot of books, which segues beautifully into my summer reading list for 2017. This was uh, actually maybe perhaps more than I should have taken on, honestly. I, I set the bar for myself at the beginning of the summer of reading 17 books, one novella, and eight graphic novels. That's one more novel than last summer. And I sit here in August realizing that is a lot of books. Now, I read pretty fast, and I can usually read four or five books in a month if I'm really putting my mind to it. However, when I do my summer reading list typically, and last year I had 16 novels on my my reading list, I usually have a little bit more time on Lake Champlain. This year, like I say, we were on the island for probably about five days, and I think I read four books while I was there. If I had had another day or two, I could probably have read another book or two, (laughs) which is nice, right? I mean, it's great to be able to just sit there, hanging out by the beach, watching the kids play, occasionally joining them. And, uh, and then also just reading books, but that's what it takes to be able to knock out that many books during the summer. I've often dreamed of being able to take off one Friday a month, maybe, maybe every other Friday in a month during the summer to go and just read books, really just kind of focus on diving into a book and not really worrying about the rest of the world, which is why I love to read. It's why I have a summer reading list, but it is hard to allocate that much time to just reading books, uh, especially with all the things that we have going on with the kids. That said, I was able to get away this summer for one day back in June. I went to the beach. I brought uh, Timothy Zahn's Thrawn, which is his uh, new Star Wars book, which talks about Grand Admiral Thrawn and his early days of the Empire. Very good book. I went to Seven Presidents Beach, and I just sat there for most of the day reading my book. Now, I did get sunburned because apparently when you go to the beach by yourself, it's kind of hard to apply sunscreen evenly. But hey, lesson learned. It was still relaxing. And even though my wife was making fun of me for my Kindle-shaped sunburn, because that's how I was holding my book, and well, like I said, it was a weird sunburn. But the point is, is I actually got away, I got to read my book, and it was a pretty good way to start the summer. So I won't go into all the books that are on my rating list, there's a post on Nuketown that's talking about this, but I will talk about the three books that I enjoyed the most so far. The first would be uh, Babylon's Ashes by uh, James S. A. Corey. This is the sixth book in The Expanse series, and I actually got this book way back in December. But this is a book that I traditionally read in the summer, because that's when all the other books had come out. So I purposely saved this book for the summer, and I'm glad I did, because it was really good. It was a satisfying space opera. It had really great space battles. It picked up nicely where the fifth book had left off, which involved... Uh, well, I don't want to get into spoilers, but suffice it to say, the things ended pretty quickly. Um, catastrophically at the end of book five. And this book kind of picks up the pieces and, and continues it forward. My most challenging book of the summer was 2312 by Kim Stanley Robinson, which is a solar system spanning hard science fiction novel with a climate change edge. Basically earth is kind of in a bad way because of climate change and rising sea levels and all of that. And humanity is spread out into the solar system and we've spawned artificial intelligences and there's all of these really cool interplays that come up as a result of kind of the natural progression of where we're going. And it was a tough read. Uh, part of it was because I was reading it as a, a print book rather than reading it on my Kindle. And this is a book that I should probably have actually read on the Kindle. And I'll tell you why. The reason why is because uh, Robinson likes to include all these little cultural references. He was talking about different kinds of different symphonies by... Um, like Mozart or talking about specific literary references of which I can't remember any right now, but it's the sort of thing you need to stop and look up. And if you're on vacation, like I, I took this book on vacation with me and you don't have ready internet access. It's kind of hard to get at some of these words, like to be able to look them up in a dictionary or to be able to quickly go out and do a search on the internet. And it would have been handy to be able to just have it on my Kindle and um, be able to do those like one click searches out to Wikipedia and see what the heck he was talking about. The lack of that was not uh, did not impede my enjoyment of the book, but it would have certainly made it a lot easier. The last book uh, that I want to talk about is Revenger by Alistair Reynolds. The last book I'm going to talk about is Revenger by Alistair Reynolds. This was a really fun book. I read this in late June, I think just as we were coming back from Yellowstone, I guess. And it's a, it's a space pirate book. Yes, space pirates set in a transhuman future. Uh, it's in another solar system where basically humanity is like the seventh or eighth or something like that civilization to inhabit the solar system. And there's all of this weird tech that got left behind. And you have basically freelance archaeologists that are going to these worlds that have been sealed off in space time bubbles and occasionally are revealed. And you can go in and visit that world and plunder it for technology that you can go and sell. And then looming out in the, depths of space, there's this black solar-sailed ship that's preying on all of these freelancers. And it was it was really cool. I mean it was a fast read. It's exactly what you would want from a pirate in space sort of book. It's not Pirates of the Caribbean type pirates, but it's, you know, weird tech and strange interactions and people pushed to extremes, that sort of pirate book. And I very much enjoyed it. I think it was a good read. And I have to say that if I were to play Numenera again, I would want to play it in a setting like this, where you have really cool, weird tech that people barely understand. But there's some structure around it. The problem I had with Monty Cook's Numenera science fiction RPG was it it's all about this world, like a couple billion years in the future where technology is magic. But it was very hard in that campaign setting to put boundaries around the technology. This book takes that idea but kind of limits it so you have the weirdness but there's boundaries to the weirdness it was a it was a very good read and I definitely recommend it so that odd little sound you just heard is called a stinger it's part of the garage band suite and it's there because I don't have any promos anymore because all the podcasts I used to listen to have pod faded, and the ones I'm listening to now don't seem to have promos if you have a promo and you'd like to share it with me I would love to feature it on the show. You can email it to me at nuketown at gmail.com. Many years ago, when I was a kid, my family had this awesome beanbag chair. It was red. I think it had a quasi-leather cover to it, and it had all those little foam beads inside. It was probably about 3 feet in diameter, and I loved it. I would plop on that and watch TV, play Atari, what have you. I have very fond memories of this particular beanbag chair. Now, unfortunately... I believe one of our family pets destroyed it in some way and it had to get thrown out. It certainly did not survive uh, my college years. And I've kind of always wanted one ever since. And there was never actually a good time to get one. And the other thing was I couldn't find the one that would actually fit me. You know, when you're a kid, it's easy to fit into a beanbag chair. When you're an adult and you're 6'2", it's harder to fit into a beanbag chair. So I've been on this kind of slow-moving, ongoing quest to actually get Beanbag chair that would fit me, and I found one. It is made by Sumo, and it's not actually a beanbag chair. It looks like a beanbag chair, it kind of feels like a beanbag chair, but it's filled with memory foam, and it is a pretty cool technological advance over your traditional beanbag chair. Because if you did get a slit in this, and actually my kids cut the cover to it, this thing has a couple protections in place. First of all, there's two linings. There's the external cover, which is what mine got beat up with. And then the internal one that keeps the foam in. And then on the inside, you actually have foam. So if you did get a hole, you're not going to get little beads going everywhere. The memory foam conforms very nicely to your body. And the one I got is big enough to actually fit me entirely. I think it's, gosh, I think it's four and a half feet in diameter. It is a pretty big beanbag chair. I have to say that. This thing has been fantastic for relaxing on my third floor game room. It is, however, really big, really, really big. It does not fit into the corner of the room where I originally thought I might be able to put it on game nights, partially because there's already a lot of other family stuff in that corner. So I can't easily push it there and it does not compress. Well, it really doesn't compress at all unless you're using some sort of an industrial process to get it back to the size that it came in. But that having been said, this beanbag chair, which I affectionately call Beetlejuice because it is big and it is red, is just been a fantastic investment. I love it. I love coming up here and being able to play Fallout 4 for hours at a time or Forza or whatever, or even just read books. It's really cool to just kind of come up here, flop down on it, and and just, I don't know, look at the ceiling and relax for a little bit. It is so soothing to just fall down and take a couple deep breaths and not worry about anything while I'm chilling on my beanbag chair. So the size is an issue, and in a perfect world, I would have a bigger gaming room. And this thing would more easily fit kind of out of the way on game days, but it's okay. I can get it out of the way. We can still fit the, the folding tables in so when we have game night, the guys can come over, we can play DND. It doesn't really get into the way. It's a little bit awkward, but I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't get a smaller one. this is this is the right one for me. This is what fits me and uh, and I wouldn't change it for anything. My parents got me an Amazon dot for Christmas. This is Amazon's always on, always listening device using uh, their Alexa persona to be able to engage with you and deliver your various requests like, hey, Alexa, play me Weezer or hey, Alexa, what's today's forecast? Whatever. Perhaps not unsurprisingly, my mom is also a big nerd and she loves this thing. She's always using it to play music over the Christmas break. She was using it to do things like, hey, you know, Alexa, add batteries to my shopping list. And. Um, Just generally having fun with it and using it in the the manner in which it was meant to be used, which is kind of a personal assistant. You don't have to write something down. You just tell Alexa to do it. That is pretty cool. That having been said, it is an always-on, always-listening device. It's listening for the keyword, but it's connected to the Internet, and those requests are continually going out. So if you're really concerned about privacy, you may have a little bit of apprehension about this particular device. For my purposes, I decided to have it in my game room, which actually works out quite well. I love being able to walk into my game room and say, hey, Alexa, play me some Weezer, or I don't know, Alexa, what's today's forecast, or give me my daily brief, you know, those those sorts of things. And then I can just, you know, hang out and it reads it out to me. Now, this is nothing I couldn't already get on my phone with doing a quick query, but it's cool to have this conversational interface. It's very Star Trek to walk in and, and actually use this keyword to say, hey, do this thing, right? And it's, it works better, I've found, than um, Siri. At least I don't really ask Siri to do a lot of things in terms of going out and executing a task like, hey, Siri, go and play um, this particular music. I'll more use it for sending quick text messages and that sort of thing. Alexa is definitely more conversational, more built around doing just day-to-day tasks. It is still limited in its understanding, so I can ask it, Alexa, when was Dungeons & Dragons published, and it won't get it. But if I ask, what is Dungeons & Dragons, it will give me a history of D&D and including when it was published. It also isn't really good at conversation. So you can't ask it a question and then ask a follow-up question and expect it to Actually, follow that thread. My understanding from people who have the Google equivalent of this is that Google is better at following those kinds of threads, but I know from doing some reading online that Amazon is certainly working towards that particular goal. And I think that would be pretty helpful. Alexa also has this concept of skills, which are kind of like modules that you can install that allow you to do additional things with it. So, for example, there's a Jeopardy skill that lets you play Jeopardy. There's a This Day in History tool. There's a word game tool. It's just basically specialized things that you can do above and beyond kind of the baseline asking Alexa to do different questions. I haven't done much with the skills. I haven't found them particularly compelling. But then again, I haven't played with them. So what do I know? I can't say that the dot has really transformed my use of technology. It's a cool toy to have around. It takes us one step closer to kind of this always on interactive, intelligent universe that Tony Stark likes to live in. But at this point, it's really just more of a fun toy than uh, gotta have technology. So that will do it for this edition of Nuketown Radioactive. I hope to be back soon, and by soon, sometime within the next four to six weeks. If you have questions or you'd like to leave comments, you can go to the website at nuketown.com and leave a comment on the show notes, or you can email me directly at nuketown at gmail.com. I found it to be a good addition to my game room. I had to put some security things in place just to make sure that my friends couldn't spam me by ordering things using voice commands, which some people have gotten themselves into trouble with. But it's been fun to be playing D&D and ask Alexa questions about some particular thing that we're trying to figure out. It's not going to give me the answers to a particular D&D rule, but if you're wondering when a particular movie is released, it can probably help you with that. So that'll about do it for this edition of Nuketown Radioactive. As always, audio and text comments are welcome. You can email them to me at nuketown at gmail.com.